the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, we do so, delightfully so, with Hugh Hallman. He is the former mayor of Tempe. He is an attorney. He is an educator. He is a um, he is a veteran of uh, the Ronald uh, Reagan uh, administration and uh, re-election campaign of 1984. Uh, we have open lines for you. Anything on your mind? We spent the last couple of hours talking about uh, the voting, uh, the problems, the irregularities, and uh, the experiences and thoughts about that. And uh, a little bit with my uh, monologue, if you missed it, which I did in the first hour, on what this day means to me and I hope to many of you. I'd like to ask, uh, while people are thinking about that sort of stuff, driving around, Hugh, driving home, driving to the polls, um, I'd like to ask you your thoughts on not not the general sense of what this day means to you, but why what what it means to you for the Republican Party and the conservative movement or why you vote generally in that direction, if not more so. Let me start broadly, because the reason this day is so important is it is a day unlike any other in our society and in human history. Yes, there are other democracies now around the world, and I'm using that as a small-D democracy because, yes, we are both a democracy because people get to vote directly. And more important for our society, we're a republic, and that's an important distinction. But in the terms of the opportunity to vote, the concept of getting to participate in your own future and dictate or determine who is going to be the leadership for our free and open society— it requires that each of us exercise that franchise, and it is truly quite unique in human history. In that context, what pushes me toward and has me as a Republican uh, are the values that this society was founded on, and it is unique in that as well. You had John Shattuck on a week ago and talked extensively about political philosophy, and uh, Congressman Shattuck, I think, properly pointed out that when we get into the weeds on issues about are you a conservative or liberal, why do you vote Republican, Republicans are conservatives, most Republicans, the average person, doesn't think of it that way. They think of the values they hold dear, and they don't think of those as conservative values. And in fact, I would argue they're not. They're liberal values in the old sense of that word. They are values in which hard work is respected and appreciated, that personal responsibility is an element of what one has to bring to the party, that we are granted rights and liberty in this society in exchange for our understanding that we have obligations to maintain that society by taking on personal responsibility for our actions, that we exercise discipline. And I don't mean in terms of whacking your children. I mean, in terms of you work hard to keep yourself on track and discipline yourself to stay on track and try to achieve. That's part of the the ethic of the United States, that we have a sense of fairness. And I don't mean the concept that the liberal or the Democrats now run around talking about fairness. I mean, in the sense that the average person sees something happen and says, that doesn't seem right. 
and it's based in this whole sense of values of uh, that that come down to uh, the last piece I'll make. But along the way, there are things like stamina, the long haul, dedication uh, to serve oneself, one's family, and one's community, self-respect as well as respect for others. But it is all captured in our United States, first in the Declaration of Independence and then in the 14th Amendment, restated after the Civil War to emphasize the fact that we got the blessing of the uh, Declaration of Independence that all, quote, men, but we now understand it, did not mean men uh, as, as human beings, as one gender, but all people are created equal. And that was stated in an environment in which we had people subjected to slavery, slavery that continues around the world, not in this country. And we beat ourselves up about the results of slavery here through 1865. And and the New York Times promotes the uh, 1619 Project and that kind of stuff. But the reality is the 14th Amendment was the work of our new founding to restate what the Declaration of Independence meant. And it said in the 14th Amendment, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty or property without due process of law. That is the Declaration of Independence, effectively, nor deny any person within the jurisdiction of equal protection of the laws. That powerful statement was a restatement of uh, concepts that the that the Declaration of Independence uh, p- put forth and that were then incorporated ultimately on our Constitution. And the reason I think you have such trouble and I have such trouble with the opposite of what the, the opposite of our approach and what's going on today adopted by a Democratic Party where avowed socialists and Marxists are put on ballots to run are that we recognize that socialism at its very core has an element to it that undermines and turns on its head the very nature of the founding of this country and the 14th Amendment. Why do I say that? Abraham Lincoln said, as I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. This, effectively, he was saying, was his view of what is democracy, and anything that differs from that is no democracy. I butchered the quote it's a little bit. Close. but That's exactly close. The, the point is, exactly close. It's very, what it's does very... socialism mean? Socialism is based on an economic concept that somebody else deserves the fruits of your labor because the government must take resources from those who produce it, from each according to his ability, and give it to other people according to their need. Now, that's a Marxist quote, but that is the underpinning of socialism, that there are needs that people have that require that government take resources created by other human beings and hand them out to someone else. I know no other way to think of this than if you are not entitled to the fruits of your own labor, to whom are you the slave? And any effort by government to impose now in our society are greater and greater obligations on those who create to give to those who need whatever the basis of that need without acknowledging that every time you take a dollar from someone who's created it, you are looking the 14th Amendment in the face and staring it down as something not worthy. Now, in modern society, as in all of human history, we have always had taxes. And there has been a sense that 
there are things that we are needing to do together that we cannot go around and ask each one of us to sign a piece of paper. A collective action problem is what we economists call it. And the the contract we've all signed is that at some point we all have agreed that government will take some resources from those who make them to provide a stable society and maximize liberty and minimize the damage we do to the incentive to create and advance society. And in the last 50 years, we've lost that balance. And the Democratic Party surely has lost that balance. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I, I kind of wanted to say, and that's what it's all about, Charlie Brown. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a beautifully well done way of thinking about it. And <clears throat> the divisiveness and the divisions that are created by these twin relic twin relics of tyranny, communism or fascism, if you will. They both try and divide us, um, divide people out of the equation of equality, don't they? Uh, it's a class war for the Marxists as it's a race war, dysgenics for, for what we might think of as the most, uh, most well-known fascist regime, Nazi Germany, right? They just traded everything Marx said about the class war and turned it into a race war, which is actually, as you put it well, the antithesis of everything we, we, we tried to do here. We started with and, um, and, and tried to continually expand upon. You know, we had cases like uh, separate but equal, Plessy versus Ferguson in the, in the 18, uh, late 1800s, early, uh, early, late 19th century. Um, but we had dissents in those cases. One of the best uh, phraseologies from one of the from the dissent in Plessy versus Ferguson is our constitutionalist colorblind. There is no caste here. We don't divide people by class. We don't divide them by race. And I always thought about that in the context of what you said, the 14th Amendment. I like I like what you said about how it kind of instantiated the Declaration of Independence into our Constitution, incorporated it into our Constitution. For those who don't know, the Declaration of Independence is a separate document. It was not incorporated into the uh, final drafting of our Constitution. And the... Um, yeah. Uh, yes, that's right. Sorry. Uh, no, that's okay. I was just... I'm, I'm trying to recall the name of the author of the 14th Amendment, John Bingham from Ohio in his speech to Congress to urge the uh, ratification and support of the 14th Amendment, he said, uh, John Bingham said in 1866, we are one country, we are one nation, we are one people. And his point was, in saying that, can we now be done with the separation of peoples? Can we now be done with the slavery based on race, which has been adopted by the socialists and the communists to have slavery based on class? Um, I am Seth Liebson. He is Hugh Hallman, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and today it remains a common-sense investment that's simple and straightforward. You don't need a pushy commission salesperson to tell you why you should buy gold. You probably already want it. What you want is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion and coins so you get what you want at the best value. Enter the Midas Gold Group. They're veteran-owned and proud supporters of this show and this station, fighting for your right to financial privacy and stability that gold offers. Trust the dealer that I, Seb Gorka, and thousands of you already know, the Midas Gold Group. Visit them in person at 625 West Deer Valley Road in Phoenix, or give them a call at 480 480- 480 
360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Hugh Hallman, uh, former mayor of Tempe, educator and attorney, uh, businessman, is uh, our in-studio guest. Uh, we have open lines today for you, 602 508 Zero nine six zero. If you missed my monologue, it's at the top of the first hour. You can get it at nine sixty, thepatriot.com. And I was kind of talking about what Arizona um, owes the Republican Party and the conservative movement, and what the Republican Party and the conservative movement um, uh, needs to needs needs to pay back and owe to Arizona. We've had a a really large footprint in defining it when you think about the history of the modern. Uh, conservative movement, which at the political level and theoretical level uh, is really based on the, on Goldwater and Reagan. You had mentioned John Shattuck. Uh, John, Sh- John Sh- Shattuck's daddy was a big part of uh, the Goldwater Brain Trust and uh, was uh, one of his ghostwriters. Goldwater was very good about actually mentioning his ghostwriters. Not everyone likes to do that. Goldwater had no no problem talking about uh, whether it was Gold, uh, whether it was Shattuck or Bazell or anyone like that who was working with him. But anyway, you think about even Congressman Shattuck and how important he was to the 94 revolution here, the 1994 uh, incoming uh, class of restoring Congress to Republican control and his service as a congressman, uh, finest congressman uh, that um, finest congressman, I think, from that class. And uh, I, I, I'd say one of the finest congressmen yeah. in all of the U.S. history good, good, because he good. understood and still understands the basis for the founding of this country and what it means to serve in that office and take actions that keep us within those lines. I um I had him on here, as you know, last week, and I asked him during a commercial break, as I ask most guests, do you have a, a book or a project or a website you want me to promote or anything? Are you selling anything? He said, I'm selling freedom. I'm selling freedom. <laughs> I mean, she is so pure. He yeah. is just so pure. Um, but anyway, so I think um, Arizona owes something to the conservative movement, the Republican Party, and vice versa. We have had a large part in defining it. And we should not give up now. And I'm hoping I'm hoping that people are going to the polls today or mailed in their ballots uh, voting uh, on that ticket with 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 the idea that we are here in a fight against what Barry Goldwater warned about in the 60s. Hell, I learned this recently to my shame. I did not know this. I learned this recently. Um, One of the most famous Democrats of the last century, excuse me, was Al Smith. He was a multi-term governor of New York. He might have been the Andrew Cuomo of uh, of of his of his time. Without the dalliances, uh, yeah, I don't know about those, but uh, fair enough. Um, oh, Al Smith didn't have the dalliance. I yes. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I was thinking Mario, and in fair any enough, event, fair enough, fair enough. In fair any enough. event, there's the Al Smith dinner, and he was the Democratic nominee for president against Herbert Hoover in 1928. Um, I didn't learn until only recently that he left the Democratic Party in 1936 under Roosevelt. And he gave a big speech uh, where he seven seven times in that speech mentioned the socialism in the Democratic Party and how he could not be a part of it anymore. That's a little bit of history. You're surprised. uh, We're not surprised we aren't taught, isn't it, Uh, that someone as respected a Democrat as Al Smith in those days, the original happy warrior. I think that appellation was first uh, given to him and then later 
given to people like perhaps Hubert Humphrey. Maybe he was the second one. But Al Smith was known as the original happy warrior in politics. He was decrying the Democratic Party socialism as Barry Goldwater was in the 1960s. Goldwater was calling it a blueprint then, as I was saying in my monologue, which is a design. You know, the blueprint is the design. And our point, I think, is that it's here now. It's and now it's, being executed. Yeah, it is, it is fully entrenched into the Democratic Party now. And they say it. Uh, this is not – Christopher Hitchens likes to remi- liked to remind when he was alive that it is not a uh, criticism or a pejorative or a negative to call someone what they call themselves. Uh, I, remember, uh, I remember he was once debating uh, – a self-proclaimed uh, neo-Nazi, and he called him a Nazi. And, and the guy said, I, I, I could do without the criticism. He said, it's what you call yourself. <laughs> it's not a criticism to identify you, but what you tell the world but isn't you it are. Isn't interesting you feel that way? Yeah, isn't it interesting you feel that way? That's right. That, that's a great point. But when they advertise that they are that, um, when you think of the, uh, the squad, which is the vanguard of the Democratic Party, your AOC's, your Ilan Omar's, your Ayanna Presley's, and others. You know, Hugh, we grew up, uh, there were no socialists elected in, in, in any part of our government um, or self declared socialists. Um, and uh, today, you know, Washington, D.C. has a lot of elected socialists, and there's another, another 100 socialists throughout the state legislatures of this country. This is unheard of, or would have been unheard of to our parents, whether they were Democrats or Republicans. And when you look at those squad members, I cannot repeat this often enough, if the Democratic Party were moderate and wanted to distance self, itself from these socialists, these self-declared socialists, it could. It doesn't. When they have primary opponents, squad members, your Ilan Omar, your Rashida Tlaib, your Ayanna Presley, when they have primary opponents from um, uh, a part of the Democratic Party that these opponents think still exists and can somehow moderate or bring back to the middle the Democratic Party to something like John F. Kennedy, I suppose, or maybe even Lyndon Johnson. Um, or the new Mark Kelly, if you believed his advertisements. The new Mark Kelly, if you believe his ads, right. Um, the D, uh, the, the C and Nancy Pelosi endorse and endow with the campaign coffers the incumbent socialists. Correct. So I will not hear from them. I do not think they have a right to tell us they are a party that doesn't endow and support and bring in and welcome socialism. They are paying for it. They are endowing it, even when given an alternative. It is not a case of insufficient options for them. It is not a case of no alternatives for the Democratic Party leadership. They have them. People have tried from time to time to run against these characters, and they do not get the support and the funding from the panjandrums of the Democratic Party in Washington, D.C., the incumbent socialists do. So this is um, in part an explanation why they can, without a pang of conscience or without any hesitation whatsoever, talk about the kids in our schools as belonging to the state when they're in the schools. Joe Biden has said it. The teachers unions have said it. The teachers have said it. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, the former head of the DNC, said it when he was running for governor of Virginia. Um, This is not... Uh, this is not in loco parentis, which is temporary hold of supervision. It's parents patriae where the state is the parent. It's all over the place. Let me, let me just and take the break real quick. That's the point that we want to come back okay. to about what that means and how that ties back into what the 14th Amendment and right. our Constitution stands for. Good. We'll do it when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson. He is Hugh Hallman, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, joined by Hugh Hallman in studio, delightfully so, 602-508-0960. Jerry's in Phoenix. Hello, Jerry. Hi. Uh, this is a, a grammar question. It's something that started maybe a year or two years ago, and every time I hear it used on the radio, it's annoying. And basically, all I'm saying is that uh, Republican Party, Democrat Party. There's no IC at the end of Democrat. That makes it an adjective rather than a noun. Indeed, but, Jerry, you are absolutely correct, but I, I hate don't know to correct why you. I keep saying Democratic Party. It's the Democrat Party. Of course Party, you are correct. keep doing it over and over uh, we'll, again. We'll give you an answer. Jerry, we'll give you our answers. Jerry, you are absolutely correct, but it didn't start a year or two years ago. It started decades ago, and it's been a continuous verbal fight. And uh, I occasionally properly say that it's the Democrat Party. But what I have found is people who are Democrats don't like it. They insist that they are the Democratic Party because they prefer the adjectival version so that they can give some sense that they uh, are, are uh, operating with democracy. And I found that in politics, I don't need to annoy people for silly reasons. I need to convince them for important reasons. And so rather than continuing to pick a scab where I tell, remind folks that they are party members of a, the Democrat Party, I just give in to their desire. Now, I don't do that with respect to all the crazy stuff that's going on now. I do recognize that some people who were born male identify as women. But I won't sit here and tell you that someone who was born male uh, uh is not the father of a child, uh, but the mother of a child. And I won't tell you that somebody who was born female and becomes pregnant can be Mr. Smith. I, um, I have a version of an answer that's close to that, Jerry, and I don't know if it'll satisfy. But um, the Democratic Party, as I refer to it, is only because that is the official name of their party. They call themselves the Democratic National Committee. They call themselves the Democratic Party. It started um, with the founding of this country, the Democratic Republican Party. And then, of course, the Republican Party founded itself in 1856 because the Republican name got dropped off. I just call people uh, by the official labels that they call themselves. I will often say in making distinctions, small d Democrat or large d Democratic, but I learned years ago, and again, you may have a very different view of this, and that's fine. I'm just telling you why I do it. I call people what they call themselves. I learned many years ago that uh, when trying to evangelize and bring people over, um, it's better not to, not to offend them. It is better to not taunt them. It is better not to tease them. If they call themselves large D Democratic Party— Boy, I'll tell you, um, they've been questioning a lot of what we stand for. I don't want them telling me we're not Republicans and supporting of a Republican form of government. So it's just the official name of the party. I just call them what they officially call themselves. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we could call them the socialists. I think I do so on every broadcast. Uh, that's true. And in I fact, say socialism is at home in the Democratic Party. Th that is correct. The Democratic Party is the home currently of socialism, and it is widely supported. And my sadness is that we have spent the last 50 years filling our middle schools and high schools with teachers who came through education programs where this became 
uh, accepted and that uh, only the pretty view of socialism has been uh, taught in U.S. schools. And the reality is that one of the reasons I'm so fierce about what we do today and what we do uh, in the future is that the logical result of the socialism movement that we see that is premised on the notion that what you make can be taken from you to be given to someone else for a series of policy reasons that people think are important. And we can talk about those. There yeah. are important reasons we move resources. Yeah, the other problem, go the, ahead. The logical end of that discussion is that once you use government power to move resources from one person as another as your motive operandi, uh, modus operandi, the end of that is what the Soviet Union created. Socialism was inculcated there by Lenin and ultimately Stalin. The logical end was the tyranny that was that was exposed and exercised in that society. And to think that's not the logical end of an AOC argument misses the par- the point. There's one other element to this. I, I used the phrase, this is not a case of insufficient options earlier. To Jerry's point, this is a case of insufficient options. Because if we're saying they are not democratic, um, so we should call them Democrats, I would argue they're not Democrats either. I don't think there is a case of sufficient options between Democratic and Democrat when we're talking about the party that opposes the Republicans. I don't think they're either. Might as well just stick with the name they call themselves. They're equally insufficient. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Seth Liebson. But more important... No, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to pick up on a theme that you were... Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a moment. I want to pick up on a theme that was kind of important Then you were talking about socialism and slavery as counterpoised to the... Um, as, as, you know, as, counter, as, as opposite to the system that was envisioned uh, from the founders who were well-schooled, not just in the philosophies of Aristotle and the Bible, what we call Athens and Jerusalem, but also the writings of moral philosophers and economists like Adam Smith, who you're expert in, Hugh. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a combined social and economic system. You might call it an economics of liberty and a socialism um, – not socialism. Let me try that again. An economics of liberty and a sociology of virtue – an economics of liberty and a sociology of virtue. I was I was reading I was I wrote down earlier when you were talking about this notion of self um, self discipline, and you were talking about it not as not as a uh, not as a punishment, uh, but rather as a way of comportment in what we call here civil society. A phrase you don't hear much about anymore. Irving Kristol made the point years ago that if you want to have self-government, you have to have selves worthy of governing. And that's where the sociology of virtue enters into the scheme that is more than just an economic uh, blueprint or economic uh, architecture here. Well, uh, in your monologue, you gave voice to uh, Reagan and Goldwater. Yeah. And I would first say Arizona is more responsible for the Republican Party and conservatism than most people understand. Because without Barry Goldwater fighting the really hard fight in the late 50s and early 60s and running for president in 60 and then successfully becoming the nominee in 64, we would not have had Ronald Reagan in 1980. 
it was only 16 years. It was a very long 16 years. But Barry Goldwater's work in this state and people like my mother's work in this state to take a Democratic state and turn it red uh, based on liberty and the Constitution and the 14th Amendment and those views. But it is your mentor, my mentor, Harry Jaffa, who wrote uh, with respect to this whole movement, quote, I believe if the salvation of the West is to come, it will come from the United States. And if the salvation of the United States is to come, it will come from the Republican Party. And if the salvation of the Republican Party is to come, it will come from the conservative movement within it. And if the salvation of the conservative movement is to come, it will come from the principles of our founding, as best pointed out in our Declaration of Independence, unquote. That set of values resonating in those statements, I would add that I think we should not act as if the party is lost or, frankly, this country is lost. This election, this cycle, is going to demonstrate that at the core of the voters in this country and in this state are those values that John Shadegg talked about mm-hmm. on your show mm-hmm. and that that is the core of our society. And that voters are going to send uh, that message that this referendum on Joe Biden's overuse of government, overexpenditure and destroying the economy and creating inflation. But it's not just, as you said at the beginning of the last hour, it's not just the economy. It's the lockdowns, the loss of liberty from that, the idiocy uh, imposed on our children that is completely unfair. All of that's wrapped around. Let's add a failed international policy that our own people say and look abroad, that's not right, that's not fair. We are on the side of Israel because they stand for values that are are what our society is about. We're helping Ukraine because what Vladimir Putin was doing is anathema to our sense of fairness and values. And in that context, uh, that we recognize that the socialism that the hard left in the Democratic Party are now standing for, and that is supported by the mainstream Democratic Party, perhaps out of fear, I don't care. That now is on trial in this election. And what I hope will come out of this is that our Republican Party and our leaders will understand that the American people have a sense of values that we also have to stand for, and that we cannot use our position once gained to bludgeon the other side. It was Abraham Lincoln who brought us together after the Civil War. It was his second inaugural address where he effectively said that we all have to come back together as Americans. That was the first great demonstration, and we need a Lincoln who understands that to bring us back together. That malice towards none, charity towards all, is what our ethic has to be. And as we come out of in the Maricopa County experience right now of failure and and errors made in running this election because of some computer geek equipment, I would say that we as Republicans, we as conservatives will base and should base our decisions on facts and information with some goodwill and charity towards those who are trying to create good election results in terms of the experience and opportunity 
and that we carry that forward in the face of people who will be screaming and shouting about how unfair this election cycle was when they lose seats in the Senate, they lose seats in the House of Representatives, and the people like Hillary Clinton referring to conservatives uh, with horrible names, that we are somehow not worthy of getting to vote. They're going to find out that the, the people in this country feel differently than they do. And they better come to terms with that. But we as the winners in this cycle have to have to behave with some charity and honor, integrity uh, and not vengeance. You know, one of the emblems of the Biden administration is that um, people voted for Joe Biden thinking he was going to unify uh, an already tattered country, an already divided or divisive (coughs) country. Many of us subscribe to the notion it's argued about who originated it, but the truth of it, I think, is 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 self-defining. That when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And a lot of us knew Joe Biden long before 2020, 2020. Uh, we remember the Joe Biden uniter who told the country that Mitt Romney told the country who told a black audience that Mitt Romney was going to put people black back in chains. Um, and Mitt Romney was the kind of Republican we're supposed to, you know herald and hold up the kind of good Republican that the Democrats like. When Joe Biden became president, it didn't take him very long to start calling us the party of Bull Connor and the party of George Wallace and the party of Jefferson Davis. Interestingly, all members of the Democrat or Democratic Party themselves. Um, It didn't take long. So if if unity is what you're looking for, if lack of division is what you're looking for, if healing the wounds that um, we have uh, we have uh, exposed is what you're looking for. You're looking at Joe Biden and you're looking at the leadership of this Democratic Party, the party that says we're a party of fear and fascism, the party that calls people white supremacists and fascists without the blink of an eye. You're looking at the wrong party. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, our friends and sponsors at Y-Refi are offering up an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises, where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. And there's no loss of principle if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. How high? Up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. YRefi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. 34 or visit them online at investyrefi.com. Make sure and tell them I sent you. They're great guys. They're based locally and you can visit with them. Never a sales pitch. Leave that to me and Larry Elder. The other part here, Hugh, that you were talking about at the beginning of the hour that I wanted to close out on or at least get in if I could was um, another line that Ronald Reagan used quite often in many of his speeches um, about the tendency, the tug of socialism here that leads to a tendency for Americans to give up and surrender so many of their rights 
to um, an elite in Washington or to uh, the government or to a bureaucracy. And he kept posing the question. It took me years to understand what he was driving at, and I think it's a brilliant formulation. He, he kept uh, iterating the formulation that if no man is good enough to govern himself, the idea of self-government, how is he possibly good enough to govern someone else? It's not just a surrender, in other words, of your own rights when you do that and engage in that practice. It's the surrender of the whole notion of why we're here, which is not only self-government, but the Republican form of government where, based on the notion of equality, um, we have elections, we have free elections, and, and, and we accept we accept what our fellow Americans decide to do every two and four years. It is an amazing reinvention of history to me that we have become labeled the party of election denial as if 2016, 17, 18, 19, and 20 didn't happen from the mouths of Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff and almost every Democrat in Washington who denied the legitimacy of the 2016 election. It's as if um, Barbara Boxer did not stand with delegates from Ohio and question the re-election of George W. Bush or the election of 2000 where Democrat after Democrat after Democrat said that Bush was the stolen leader, not the chosen leader. Um, To all that today, and there's a little bit of time left to make your vote known if you haven't done it already, to all that, we're saying no more. It's enough. Stop. We're reclaiming our country, and we're reclaiming self-government, and we're reclaiming normalcy, and we're saying goodbye to socialism. Until tomorrow, Hugh, thank you. God bless you all. I'm Seth. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.